Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Please be seated. A few days ago, a friend of mine posted a picture of a 15th century French image of the nativity online. In it, the Holy Family are in comfortable, though modest, lodging. Joseph sits at the bottom left. It's one of those kind of flat, two-dimensional pictures. He sits at the bottom left, holding the well-swaddled infant Jesus in his arms. And the two gaze at each other raptly and tenderly. Taking up much of the frame, Mary sits to the upper right, draped in a cozy red blanket with a large book open on her lap. She appears deeply engaged in reading. A low pen for animals is at the upper left, housing a large ox and slightly smaller donkey. The donkey cranes its neck down, peering at the child and Joseph with affection. The ox wearing an immense bell, examines Mary and the book with curiosity. The friend who sent this around commented that it shows Joseph as nurturer and Mary inquiring of the Torah. He wished us all a very Merry Christmas beyond gender stereotypes. I couldn't find any independent description of this piece But I do say amen to expanding our understanding of how we birth and nurture love in our lives. In sacred art, there are a lot of depictions of Mary reading, which seems a bit unlikely for a Jewish peasant teenage girl in the first century. But I like to imagine her curiosity and thoughtfulness, her ministry as maternal prophet and theologian, and also her holistic approach to the vocation that has turned her life and the whole world upside down. All of this came to me as I thought about this short verse toward the end of the Christmas story. Mary treasured all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. Pondering is thinking deeply. It's reflecting over time. It's wondering and playing with ideas and understanding. And it's not only intellectual, it's integrative. Mary is metabolizing the things that have happened to her, making meaning of them in her life, and seeing what meaning has already been made and is being made by the action of God and her own choice. No doubt she does so, not only sitting quietly with her baby in her arms, but in the midst of caring for him and managing her life and her family obligations. In another text, we are told that shortly she must reflect while she's on the run as a refugee, fleeing from Herod to exile in Egypt. Well, she has a lot to ponder, this remarkable young woman. 
Some nine months previously, an angel completely disrupted her life and announced that God had called her to bear and mother a holy child. She ponders the divine invitation, and then she says a courageous yes, which sets everything in motion. No doubt she's remembering that and pondering the whole journey that has brought her to Bethlehem, a journey full of fear and hope. Maybe she's thinking about her people, her cousin Elizabeth, whose own unlikely pregnancy enabled an instant, joyful understanding of Mary's situation. Most of all, I'm sure she's thinking about Joseph. Blessed be, blessed be, he said his own remarkable yes, trusting her, trusting God in the most unlikely circumstances and stepping up to give her baby a name and a father's protection. Maybe she's also pondering whispers and rumor-mongering folk who are scandalized at her pregnancy and downright mean. What will that mean for her and for her baby in the years to come? Of course, by this time, Mary is pondering the birth that she's just experienced. The scriptures don't tell us much about it. I hope there was a midwife there to help as Mary brought her firstborn into the world, far from home, she ponders, and her body, her body bears the memory of painful contractions and pushing, tearing, maybe, and fear, and joy. She's awash in hormones, newly and overwhelmingly in love with her baby as he reaches greedily for her breast. She's figuring out nursing. She wraps him and swaddles him, and she soothes him when he cries, and she gazes at his precious face. In these quiet moments, she adores him like so many new parents adore their little ones. She wonders and she dreams. She has cradled him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, because in the crazy crush of the census that has brought them to Bethlehem, she and Joseph are sheltering amid farm creatures whose warm, snuffling breath punctuates the night. What and who will this child, this little, vulnerable boy who has been called such exalted names, son of the Most High, descendant of David, the king, what and who will he become? How will she and Joseph tend and raise and protect and guide him? Where will her daring love for this baby lead her? And where will it lead her little boy? And then Mary ponders the unexpected visitors who burst into the place where the young family is sheltering, stammering with the excitement of their own angelic visitation. They were shepherds, ordinary laborers, not particularly pious or important, though perhaps a reminder of how God is imaged as the good shepherd of the people. They said they were minding their sheep on the hills at night. 
They were minding their own business. And then divine glory broke upon them. God's messenger stood before them, and understandably, they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news, good news for all the people. To you, you shepherds, a child is born who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. And this, says the angel, is the sign. You will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. This news is so good that the glory erupts into a multitude of the heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest and peace to all people on earth. And it feels like the joy can't be contained and heaven and nature sing, as the hymn says, and the trees and the rocks and the hills shout in chorus and maybe the sheep turn cartwheels in their enthusiasm. So the angels leave and the shepherds set off to look for the promised child. Do you notice that the sign of God's faithful presence is not the celestial music or the bursts of radiant light? Rather, it's a baby in a manger, an ordinary child born of insignificant parents. What is the meaning of this sign? It speaks about humility, surely, just as the great good news is given to people on the margins. So the Savior is a poor child born in the shadows. He lies in a manger where animals are fed. Luke is borrowing a tradition that links this unlikely cradle to a text of the prophets. But he also may be alluding to the living bread that Jesus will give and become. What's more, this sign emphasizes the newborn Savior's vulnerable flesh. He is part of earthy creatureliness, part of the body of the world. The shepherds tell all this to Mary and Joseph, who are amazed. And then they depart. They're full of joy, praising God for all that has been told them, for the gift of this holy birth, for the very presence of the divine with and for them. We never hear of the shepherds again. They receive the gospel, they seek and find the child, and then they go forth rejoicing. Maybe they tell their story to others. Mary ponders these shepherds. Why are they the recipients of the good news? Is it because out on the hillside at night they weren't too busy to pay attention? Because once they got over their terror, they knew how much they needed the message of divine grace and peace and love? Because if God speaks to shepherds surrounded by their animals, then this message must really be for all of us, however messy our lives seem. I picture Mary 
reflecting on how faithfully they sought the beloved child and wondering what the promise of peace on earth might have to do with her infant son. Maybe Mary also pondered the context of all these events. Luke certainly intends for us to pay attention to it. He sets up the political scaffolding at the very beginning of the narrative. All this takes place in the reign of the Emperor Augustus and various minor Roman functionaries. The Holy Family comes to Joseph's ancestral city because there's a census in which the empire is flexing its muscle and planning a tax program to finance its wars. And it's Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the order that keeps rebellions down and fuses the empire into a mighty but uneasy calm with brutal efficiency and power. The absence of open fighting does not equal justice or well-being, especially not for those on the margins of society or the bottom of the economic order, which is most of the people in these occupied countries. Throughout the birth story, Luke sharply contrasts the peace of Caesar with the peace God offers on earth, which is a peace not imposed by violence, but bubbling up from the well-being of creation, a communion of care that's grounded in vulnerable and tenacious love that seeks abundance of life and interdependence and justice for all. Luke's original audience would have recognized immediately that the Emperor Augustus also claimed to be a son of God. The angel's proclamation about Mary's baby is downright subversive. The way of Jesus contrasts sharply with the way of empire. So Mary may be pondering what sort of leader, what kind of bearer of divine presence her baby will be. But we have already seen that Mary herself is a prophet of revolution. Early in her pregnancy, she sang, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because God has cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's not that the Magnificat celebrates the replacement of one hierarchy with another one. Rather, it proclaims the overturning of all structures of brutality and oppression. Mary heralds the sharing of creation's goods so that all may have enough. These are challenging words for our wealthy society, but they cry out deliverance for all, that all of us may know our need of God and our need of one another, that we all may share our gifts freely, that we may be liberated from the greed that binds us and welcome healing and justice and liberation and love together. Like the angels, Mary sings good news for all people, for the whole creation. 
Surely she pondered how to live into her own song, as well as living into the fullness of peace proclaimed by the angels. How was this glory of God's justice and healing fulfilled in her tiny son, swaddled so snugly in the animal's manger? How to nurture him and raise him up for this calling? How was God at work on that holy night in Bethlehem? She ponders and she wonders, and even in the wondering, there is joy. She will continue to metabolize these questions, to live into them step by faithful step, in hard times and good times. As Mary ponders, so may we, here at Ascension this Christmas Eve. This is the first Christmas that we've been able to worship in person together in three years. I'm very glad that you, that we are all here. What journey has brought each of us on this chilly night? We come to sing the carols and hear the familiar story and be fed at God's table. And we come in the midst of a world every bit as violent and dangerous as that of the first Christmas, a world at war, marked by abuses of power and corruption, violence and shocking inequality of wealth and resources and human rights, a world in which we often fail to honor our human siblings and the other precious creatures with whom we share this beautiful and endangered planet. We come with our personal griefs, our longings, our joys. I dare say we come seeking good news. So come, come then and ponder the message of the angels, the message of peace on earth and God's great goodwill for all. Christmas tells us, my friends, that we are loved beyond imagining by a God who comes among us to be with us, to be one of us. God comes as a vulnerable infant, hungry for Mary's milk, dependent on his parents for everything, and needing to, in a mysterious way, our love and care, inviting our sacred attention, our wonder and our dreaming. In this newborn child, God is flesh of our flesh and shows us a way of humble love and justice and peace that can heal the world. This night, in the imagination of our hearts, let us come to the manger. Let us pause and gaze and ponder this newborn child Mary's son is born for us and mysteriously also born in us and through us to nurture in the world that desperately needs it, this newborn love. Christ comes that we may join God's work of justice and healing and making peace, that we who hear good news may become good news that we may share the love of one who has come to be with us, come what may. Ponder 
and wonder and open your hearts. May the joy of Christmas fill us this night. May it change our lives.